She was the very first mother. Sarah, Eve, or Rachel? How many say Sarah? Mother of mankind. How many say Eve? How many say Rachel? All right, that was the giveaway. Yeah, 100% right. Number two, the mother of Samuel. She prayed to God for a son, then God gave Samuel back, uh, gave Samuel back to serve him. Uh, is that mother of Samuel named Sarah? How many say Sarah? Uh, number two, Elizabeth. Uh, number three, Hannah. Raise your hand if you're sure. All right, Hannah, 100%. What is a bright group? All right, that pleases the pastor, right? Know the Bible like that, right, David? Yeah. <laughs> number... <laughs> See, it never changes. It's second grade all over again. Two plus six. <laughs> there it is. Number three, this mother-in-law guided Ruth into a relationship with Boaz. Mother-in-law Ruth. All right, is that Naomi? Is it Rebecca? Now everybody's looking at Dot. Bathsheba? No, Naomi. You got that right. Number four, Dot, you can't participate. I'm sorry. <laughs> Number four, this mother was very old when she had Isaac. Uh, how many say Sarah? All right. How many say Rebecca? How many say Bathsheba? <laughs> right, right. Very good, Sarah. Number four. Number five, she helped her son Jacob trick his father to get a blessing. She helped her son Jacob to trick her father, his father, his father to get a blessing. Is that Sarah? How about Rebecca? How about Rachel? That's a little tricky. All right. Still got it all right. Man, you get them all right, we'll just have the benediction. I mean, what's the sound? <laughs> Is that a what? From an ordained man. Now, I would expect more. <laughs> Where's the trap door here? You're going to push a butt. Number six, his mother saved his life by putting him in a basket and hiding him in a river. Uh, who would that be? John the Baptist? <laughs> oh, how about Moses? All right, you sure? Well, that's a sermon, so I would say we might be good to go, Roger. I don't know. Uh, that's right. It's Moses. Forget Samson. We don't even ask you. Uh, number seven, uh, the mother of Jesus. Oh, my. Oh, my. Martha, Elizabeth, or Mary. How about it? All right. Boy, see me later if you miss that one. Wow. <laughs> I got a board education for you. Wow. Okay, number eight, the mother of John the Baptist. Is that Martha? Dottie, don't shake your head one way there. Uh, is, it, is it Elizabeth? Uh-huh. Mary. That would be tricky. <laughs> it's Elizabeth. That's right. Good. Number nine. Two more. Number nine. The mother of Solomon, her first child with David, died shortly after his birth. Is that Hannah? Sarah? Bathsheba? Galen, did you get that? Was that Bathsheba? Oh, it went up early. I didn't... Oh, all right. Okay, you're fast. Number 10, the last, the mother of Joseph. Mother of Joseph. Was it Sarah, Rachel, or Rebecca? Sarah. Let's do it again. We're not sure on that one. Sarah. Dottie, you can vote on this one. Rachel, 
or Rebecca? Yeah, it's Rachel. You did good. Wow. All right. They didn't get them all right, so the one missed one somewhere, I think. So we'll have to do the sermon. So, okay, Roger. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, let's, uh, let's take our Bibles. Look at uh, Mother's Day message. Uh, uh, a priceless treasure, a godly mother. A number of weeks ago, we did that little brief series on the gospel, and we talked about uh, the treasure of the gospel, and it certainly is the greatest treasure uh, as we could ever think. What would you ever trade away for the gospel? I hope you'd say, absolutely nothing. I mean, the gospel is the great treasure, and it ought to be esteemed in your heart more and more and more as the years go by. You know, and uh, wow, it, it, it goes on. Time moves. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed? As celebrate this week with Faithy and I, we have the joy of uh, another anniversary. And uh, 36, can you believe that? Uh, Karen had, we had uh, Karen Weitzel's uh, wedding uh, rehearsal uh, and then the wedding yesterday. Karen uh, was a part of our ladies' Bible study at Susan's uh, this past uh where are we? In the spring? Was she there in the fall? I can't remember. Spring, uh-huh. And uh, it was at the Peace Church yesterday. It was absolutely beautiful there. And then the, uh, the reception was across at the Civic Center and, uh, and went on late last night by the river. You know, etiquette, did you ever know that? You can, etiquette, you can't leave the reception until they cut the cake. Did you know that? If you, if you ever sneak out ahead of that time, you've, uh, that's a phobia. You've, not good. Got to stay till they cut the cake. They didn't cut the cake till 10 last night. We're looking for the cake. We're in the kitchen looking for the cake. Can we help you cut the cake? Anyway, they had a big, I mean, it was a big thing and all this going on. And uh, remind me how, how time is flying. They had, uh, they had every, all the married couples up on the dance floor. Well, Faith likes to I do a little twirl with her. And then it's like, then it's this thing like, all right, if you're not married, go sit down. If you're married for a year or less, go sit down. If you're married for five years, ten years. Do you know it hit me? Faith and I were one of the five last couples up there. I mean, the other ones looked really decrepit. And I go like, is that what we look like? You know, like, <laughs> go like, everyone's, I mean, 150 people. And Faith and I, and there's, like, you know, Grandma over here and Granddad, and I guess I kept telling, well, we were seven, and my dad had a sign, and we got married, <laughs> you know, that. but it made me think, and then Tuesday, we got another one, and the time marches on, and the treasure of the gospel, it gets more and more and more precious. It really does. It is, it is, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, and today, when I think of assets and treasure and all that, uh, not up there equal with the gospel, but it can lead to the gospel, and, and it did in my life, through a godly mother. At the, the treasure of a godly mother. She that rocks the cradle rocks the world. We're going to take a glance, just a glance, at, at who God would uh, use to bring, as some of the commentators say, the greatest man born in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, John the Baptist is recorded in the New Testament, but it uh, would be Moses, and I think there's a lot of credence to that, that position. And so we want to look at that in Exodus chapter 2. Find that if you've not. One of God's greatest blessings to you may have been the gift of a godly mother. Uh, when you add up all your assets, 
Don't forget her. If you had a godly mother, and I'm reminded, not everybody did. Not everybody did. Uh, but we all have this ideal of what she would be, right? We do. Uh, even those that have been abused, I should have had, I wish mom had, or mom wasn't there. Not everybody did. And my heart goes out to you. I think of what would be missing in my life hugely, hugely without her impact in my life. And not everybody had a godly mother. But if you did, she should be near the top of your list. She's more valuable than stuff. Don't confuse uh, worth of things. You know, Americans like to add up dollars and numbers and stuff when they go like, well, what are your... She's more valuable than all that. She's all more valuable. Today, my mother will receive at least uh, seven phone calls. She had seven kids. They'll come from all over the country. And uh, the most annoying thing is, is the busy signal when I try calling. Get off the phone there so I can say, hey, Mom, I love you. Thank you. I don't know how you put up with me, you know. Oh, and you know, the good thing is as she gets older, she forgets all the bad stuff. <laughs> I, oh, you're so, she goes on, and I'm like, holy cow, she, can't, she really doesn't remember. <laughs> you were so easy to raise. I go, oh, okay. Yes, thank you, Mom, so much. Well, you know, we, we think, when we think of Abraham Lincoln, you know, being raised in poverty, um, and they made much of that with Lincoln. Lincoln was re, reputed to have said uh, in regards to that, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. I think he's exactly right. After hundreds of years, God was moving again among, amongst his people, this, the children of Israel, and he was going to build a man to be a deliverer and a lawgiver for his people. And of course, his name is Moses, and his mother's name, Jochebed. Now, that doesn't roll off our tongue real easily, Jochebed. But uh, that's, that's her name. Our text does not indicate any of the names. It's kind of uh, anonymous. We find it later, Exodus chapter 6, we find Amran, his father, Jochebed, the mother, and Miriam, the teenage older sister. It's, it's just like the dynamic, just like our home. Sarah was the oldest, not the same years spread. Then Aaron is second. So Miriam might be a young teen, 13, 14. Uh, Aaron is about three years older. And then here comes the caboose, as far as we can tell Moses, into this home in Egypt, and God is going to build a man. You know that's what God is up to? You know that's the gospel in your life? Did you ever think about that? The gospel is just not simply the doorway. Oh, my sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. That's the beginning. Don't stop there. Don't walk through the door and stop. Man, keep going. God wants to build you, men and women, into the glorious servants for him. He's preparing us for heaven. And the circumstances in our life and the stresses and the strains, and it, uh, it helps us grow. And look at the situation that, that Moses was born in. It was a most difficult time. And I'm reminded again and again, uh, again and again, as much as I don't like it, the hard times are better for me than the easy times. The easy times, I tend to get in trouble. I, I tend to wander off the path. I need the press. I need, the, I need that, and so do you. 
And into that circumstance, into that meat grinder, if you will, into the situation there in Egypt at this time, God orchestrating all the events is going to build a man. He is going to build a sturdy man who is going to have to deal with, how do you like to do a 40-year camp out with these people? I mean, some of you are in the Boy Scouts. You go, like, I can't wait till Sunday night. We're going home. I can't stand these guys. They smell. They never take a shower. You know, they're playing around with dead animals and stuff. You know, like, <laughs> and other things that go on that we won't talk about uh, and as I go back. How about 40 years? And then they're always, like, murmuring. They're like, can we have an election? We don't like you anymore. We want someone else. And even his own brother and sister at points, they're like, yeah, how come, you know, uh, you're the baby, and, and I mean, he's got all this going on all the time. I mean, how'd you like that? That's going to be a sturdy man to be able to lead through that. That's what that God is building, sturdy men and women today, through the gospel and the effect of the gospel. And so see yourself in this as well, these centuries, many centuries later. Well, little-known Jochebed and her little, and little could she ever know what she was raising. Let me stop there. Do you ever really know what your children will become? You know, do you? I mean, we have ideas, we have dreams. Mothers have dreams for their children. But oftentimes, we don't live very long. We don't get to see them. I mean, the wisdom literature says that. And I think it's Ecclesiastes where it says, you know, a father doesn't know whether his son is going to be wise or a fool. Why? Because he died. And so we really don't know. We have the hopes and the dreams of the next generation as they outlive us. So many have said, and I wrote in my Bible, and I love the little expression, children are the living messages that we send to a time that we cannot go. And that's pretty well stands true. And little could, uh, uh, little, little could she, Jacobin, know when this baby came under these circumstances all that would become of his, of his life. And we don't know what God will do in the hearts and lives or when he will do it in the life of our children. And yet God has a plan. And it's all-encompassing. And we'll see that as well. It's just so encouraging to me. By God's providence, she would change the course of human history. There's much for us to learn from and, and emulate by God's sweet grace and the power of the gospel in us to emulate this dear mother. For Moses is one of the greatest men ever made by God. Much of the credit for what he be, would become would be given to his mother. Well, there are three lessons from the life of this godly mother urging all of us to honor her and her sisters. What do I mean by sisters? I mean women who are mothers like her that, that exude with uh, these qualities and, and that we see from Exodus chapter 2. Well, three lessons. Let's read our text. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now back it up. One verse prior, go to the last verse of chapter 1, verse 22. Then, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. 
And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of the bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, or Moshi, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Well, the three lessons that come to us uh, from the life of uh, Jochebed, and uh, really it should cause us to honor her uh, for, the, for Proverbs 31, that is to the, uh, the admonition to husbands and children, that we're, we're to praise godly women, uh, even in the city gates. It's only right for us to do that, to praise her and to praise uh, uh, ladies today that are godly, God-fearing, love the Lord, and that we recognize them uh, publicly before others. Man, that's a wonderful thing to do that. I urge you to do that if you you know, to publicly praise your wife. It's a wonderful thing to do that, and it's right and fitting and biblical. Well, the first lesson is simply this. We see in, in, in chapter 2 at the beginning, godly women have the courage to do the right thing. They have the courage to do the right thing. This is a very difficult time to live. We've already indicated it. But then I'm reminded that there have been very many times, much of human history has been a very hard time to live. We are soft by historical standards as Americans. I mean, we just expect everyone's to, don't we all get to do the pursuit of, of, of uh, happiness and life and liberty and all that? That's like this little tiny experiment. When you think of the, uh, the millennial of times, Usually it's abusive and crushing and it's just scratching out some sort of living and, and at the uh, servitude of somebody stronger and mightier or, or powers to sweep in and clean out the crop and livestock and you're, you're left, uh, you know, we've got to build walls to find some... Per- I mean, that's, that's much of human history. You read the antiquities and the battles and the thousands of people that wiped out in battles and warfare. It was a seasonal sport. I mean, you read the antiquities, and then it was the time of year when kings went to war. It was like baseball season again. You know, went through the winter, and then they got their troops going again, and they went out and fought. And people were maimed and killed. Imagine bad enough with all the antibiotics and medical stuff and all that we have today, and that's only a recent development. I'm saying to you that life has often been hard in a fallen world. 
And uh, because we live in this little bubble and we enjoy some great freedoms, as by his history standards, a level unparalleled. You know, you think of the rise of the middle class in America. Never have there been such a large number of people that have enjoyed the, the, uh, the luxuries and the accommodations, housing and travel and all of that at any point in history. There's always been a wealthy elite and then the massive, mostly very poor, and a few in between. And uh, so don't be lulled to sleep. This was a difficult time. Much of human history has been hard time. And yet God uh, wants us to know, A, this is not heaven. We know that, right? It's not hell either. Some people, well, this is hell. No, it's not. God wants us to persevere for him as we press toward the celestial city, the city of God. Well, Godly women have the courage to do the right thing, even in a hard circumstance, in a difficult world condition. In this case, the children of Israel had, had lived in Egypt for 400 years uh, since the days of Joseph. Uh, the new king uh, was ruling now in Egypt. It was a new dynasty. And they said, Joseph who? It does remind me, according to Ecclesiastes, that, that even great men, you know, their memory does not long linger. Have you ever noticed that in uh, some of the encyclopedias? You know, somebody recently dies and they're a person of renown uh, in the encyclopedias, or now it's all digital. They'll give uh, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, and the longer it goes on, it shrinks. And after a few generations, it's like he lived and he died. And the extent of his life is a hyphen. Do you know that's your life, a hyphen? You ever see that in a cemetery? Born? Boy, your dad was a funeral day. Danny, you saw that. Born? Died? What's that? Hyphen. That's your life. That's the way it is. And Joseph, as great as he was, and God used him to save uh, not only Egypt with the seven years and the seven years and became a cloister, a, a, a wonderful place for God to care for Jacob and the 70 that went in under Joseph's care. There came a point when they said, Joseph, who is he? Who is he? It's reminding you how fleeting uh, fame is, isn't it? Who won the Super Bowl last year? Anybody know? Anybody care? The Bills didn't, I know. Huh? The what? The Giants did. Yeah, I think that's right. See, how, fle- how about two years ago? Fame is fleeting. Green Bay, Jimmy? Green Bay? Okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right. All right. Now we got some life here. Right. Famous. We don't know who Joseph is. It probably was a whole different dynasty. It might have been the Sea People's Invasion. We're not sure. But uh, they didn't know who Joseph was. And the Israelite children were multiplying like rabbits multiplying. They had children everywhere. And so the new king became nervous. He was afraid. And so he gave an edict. He said, we're going to drown the boys. You know, it's, uh, uh, that's what happens. Uh, when we were in Dubai, they were telling the story about um, there, uh, there's a, about a million people in Dubai. And of the, of the uh, Emiratis there, only 250,000, only a quarter are <laughs> Our, uh, our citizens are, are the Dubai folks. 
uh, three-quarters of the population are expats. Imagine that. Only one in four in your country are the real deal. And the other ones are workers that come in, third-world countries, some from the West, the, uh, and this kind of thing. And there's a nervousness. And that was the first time, and it made me think of this, that they're nervous that they, they realize they could easily be overrun. You know, like, we, we're not taking it anymore. We're taking over. And so they try and uh, make concessions, and, and they're a little more open in Dubai than they are in some other places. Uh, but uh, they're nervous about that. Well, this king here, uh, this pharaoh, who was king, was nervous about it. There are a lot more children here of the uh, Israelites than there are of the Egyptians. And uh, we got to keep a lid on this thing. Well, he chose a very, very evil uh, solution. Let's just drown them in the Nile if they're a baby boy. That's the setting to which God is now going to send uh, this uh, little baby uh, to be born. And so we see that infanticide, the killing of babies, is not new. I often think it's the her- it, it is a tremendous uh, exhibition of the depravity of, of man. We are, we are so utterly depraved. It's Roman 1, that, uh, the, the most, uh, uh, one of the most wonderful things in life, that of a baby, and uh, a man or woman would take that child for whatever and all reasons, and e- either in utero and through abortion or are out, would kill that child, that harmless, little, defenseless, little child that's totally dependent on mom and dad, particularly in those early weeks and months, and, and, begin, and kill that child. Or have that child shows a depth of depravity it makes me nauseous at point when I think about it. I pray every day that God would overturn the abortion. And it's a horrendous thing. It's the height of selfishness. You know, like, I want, it's my body. Sorry, the child is not your body. It's not a, you're, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a human being. And we need to stand for that. I'm so glad we can be a part in our next uh, community project with the Capital Pregnancy Area. And I urge you to really support that as we stand shoulder to shoulder uh, uh, in, this, uh, in this cause. Each of these precious little ones here and shows such depravity. I mean, you see it in the Old Testament here where Moloch, the pagan god, people would get caught up into the satanic paganism in the searing, it was they let a fire under this metal altar, and the and the part of their ritual, they go and put their child on that, and hear the screams of that baby as it was seared on that red hot uh, metal uh, uh, altar to uh, to the pagan god, which is really the worship of demons. Horrible thing. Well, infanticide certainly is not new. And shall I say it? Uh, China today, you know, still has that pagan practice, you know, and their deluded uh, system of trying to control world population or their po- one child, they have a one child policy. And, uh, and what's happened here in the last 20 or whatever years is, is uh, uh, couples are said, okay, if we can only have one child, then we want to have a boy. Because thinking of uh, protection and future earning power, to be able to take care of dad and mom and their feebleness. And that's just the way when push comes to shove, uh, people have thought through the years. And so uh, children, they'll do a genetic test, and if, the, if it turns out to be uh, a female, they'll abort the baby. 
And I'm sorry to tell you that America has been the chief uh, exporter of abortion around the world. I'm still embarrassed to this day when I remember a few years ago when Mrs. Clinton went over to Beijing and spoke at the Women's Conference advocating uh, abortion as birth control there in Beijing. I thought, what a horrendous, what an embarrassment for the United States of America to be exporting abortion. God help us. And it's affected many, many countries. And I'm here to say about the ones that stand the strongest against it. Now, it may surprise you, but it's the Muslim countries. And they go like, no way. No way will we do it. It's a strange mix. I remember being in Qatar, and uh, the, uh, at least that moral stance put together uh, the evangelical Christians because those that claim to know Christ that are liberal and have lost, I would say, the gospel, oh, yeah, a woman's right to choose. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And this and they're like, no, you've lost your Bible. And it's evangelical Christians standing side by side with Muslims saying, no way to abortion. It made a strange mix in the American school there in Doha and some other places where they were trying to make a strong statement against that kind of thing. So in any event, infanticide is not new. It was the day of which Moses was being born into. It was no accident. God didn't say, I didn't know it was going to be that kind of a world. No, he knows everything, the end from the beginning. And so this, this, uh, because of that, the Israeli midwives refused to kill the, the baby boys. Now, we didn't read that in chapter 1, verse 17. They refused. Why? They feared God. They feared God. There we, we have found some archaeological reliefs that show, incidentally, um, uh, the, the, it might be of interest more to the ladies, that uh, in that day, the midwives, they were the ones that assisted, of course, the delivery. But the delivery in those days, you weren't laying on your back, and you weren't strapped into anything like that, and all that apparatus, that fun stuff. Is this Hershey Park? No, it's not Hershey Park. It was actually, they would kneel, they would squat between two stones. And they would, you know, gravity would take, and the midwives would help. We actually have found some carved relief showing the whole birthing process. And, and the uh, midwives were said, grab the Hebrew male child and kill them. And they said, no way, we're not doing that. We don't know who they are. They're anonymous. All these women are in this text here. None of them are named, and it's uh, rather amazing. God working through each one of them, glorious to his glory. They refused. And so the cries could be heard from the killing of their babies. Uh, there were some that were killed, of course, and how horrible that uh, certainly, certainly was. Well, in this setting, Jochebed, chapter 2, verse 1, marries a Levite. He's a Jew, and he gives birth, uh, she gives birth uh, to, uh, to her son. Now a man from the house of Levi. Now this is going to be the uh, line that will issue forth in the priest. Uh, with Aaron and company and the generations, and, but that has not happened yet at this point in time. Uh, but uh, she marries uh, a Levite. She marries, can we say, within her faith. Um, this is prior to the church. It's in the Old Testament economy, uh, looking forward to the cross, but she marries within her faith. Listen, God commands this of all his children. You know, I, I just feel the need to have to say that again. Here, you, you should only ever marry, and you should only ever encourage your children and your grandchildren, those that you love, to marry in the faith. 
I always sit down with a couple uh, on the first interview, and they want to know, Pastor, will you marry us? Well, I, I, uh, I'll say to them, you know, there are some marriages that I can't perform that don't have the blessing of God. They say, well, what, what's that? And I said, well, it's not, intera- it's not interracial. We got way off on that. God is made of uh, humanity, one blood of all nations. You see that in Paul's words, specifically in Acts 17. One blood. There's one blood. We're all cousins. That's, uh, and because of that, that's half the problem with genetic issues. Kissing cousins, you better not marry too close. All these inherited diseases. Well, it's not racially. That's not it. It's not nationally. Well, I can't marry, you know, they're from that country and they're from, you know. No, it's not that boundary either. You know, it's not. Th- what is it? It's a, it's a, it's, are you in the faith or are you out of the faith? That's a mixed marriage. And you have to be very careful about that. Sometimes there are a lot of conversions at the point of engagement that end up to be hokey. Uh, only ever in the Lord. That's what, and the, and the verse here, and I have on your sheet, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, that's, uh, that's uh, the principle as expressed by Paul there where if uh, a woman uh, wants to, a widow wants to marry, you know, she, Paul says, I think she's better just to remain single. Um, just, uh, I've had a number of, of, of widows tell me, I'll ask him, do you have any interest to marry? Oh, no, one man's enough. I'm not going to have another man mess up my life. <laughs> Barb, now you didn't say that. I know that because you're wonderfully married. But, uh, but uh, some, some say, but Paul says, you know, I think you'd be happier if you remain single. Now, not the younger widows. They should marry, bear children, and, and, and that Paul encourages that. But the older widows, he said, I think they're better if they're single and, uh, and can give themselves wholly to the Lord. Uh, but, but, he says, but if you do marry, you marry someone who's only ever in the Lord. And there's the principle. Okay? And then in 2 Corinthians, he says the same thing. And you have to be careful about that. Men, supervise that with, with the, uh, the guys that come uh, to date your daughters. And I was pretty tough on that. Kept a lot of riffraff away from Sarah. A lot of dogs, you know, did I say dogs? A lot of dogs hanging around the house. Get away, get away, get away. And they found out they had an interview with me, and I want to hear their story. And I want them, actually, I want them thinking about me as they drove away, not so much her. You know, I got a gun and I got a shovel and nobody will miss you. Did I say that? No. That's a kind of a guy like that. <laughs> Some of you heard that story too, right? That's right. You, got, you have to be tough. Yeah, I'm telling you. Holy cow. And when Greg married Sarah, I kind of went like, Phew. ha, she's yours now. <laughs> Dan, be careful. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was tough. I don't know why it's a little different with guys, isn't it? That you just kind of... I don't know. It, it is different. Am I right? It is different. Another amen? Give me another one. All right. Yeah. I don't know what. All right. Mary and the Lord. And so she and her husband, Amron, they're Levites. They later become the priestly line. Look at C. Quick. Let's start moving a little bit. Uh, Jacobed refused to obey the king's law. She had the courage to do the right thing. She wouldn't allow her baby boy to be drowned in the Nile River. 
So she hid him in her home for as long as she could, three months. Now don't, don't think, you know, like, you know, our suburban neighborhoods and, oh, that must have been nothing. No, they were probably small, hottish type dwellings. You know, have you ever lived in areas like that? I, mean, we, I grew up in a close neighborhood in Greater Buffalo area. I could hear the, the discussions next door. Mr. O'Connor and the Murphys on that side, and I knew what they were eating for dinner, and I knew when Mrs. Rosart was baking bread, and, you know, like it was, it was close. And I imagine in this day it was even closer. Now you bring a baby, a forbidden baby, into that. It's not like, well, we'll just hide him in the basement. Nobody will know. Everybody knew. They knew. Even if you keep the lid on it, no pun intended there, but they would know. I mean, it, it was most difficult, most difficult, took great courage on her part. She knew it was wrong to kill a baby. It was her baby. She couldn't even fathom the thought of it. And so she chose to fear God and do right rather than to obey the king. You know, it's a, it is a wonderful thing to be able to stand with an open Bible. This is God's word. And uh, I remember Francis Schaeffer talking about this. And you can make moral statements against civil authorities and say, you are wrong based upon the authority of God's wonderful word. Samuel Rutherford, one of the old uh, uh, Puritan pastors in England, then he came over a little bit to New England. He wrote a book based on this whole thing. And uh, it's a fun little title. Uh, It was called uh, Lex Rex. And the theme, it's, it's Latin, is Lex Rex or is Rex Lex? Isn't that great? Those are your cousins, right? Lex and Rex. And the point of it is, is the law king or is the king law? That's what it means. Lex is law, Rex is king. Lex Rex. He said, the king is not law. The king is under law. No totalitarian state. The king is subordinate to God's law. And the most humble Christian can open the Word of God, and we're not talking about some weird and strange verses, but the clear teaching of God's Word and say, that law, that edict, that command is evil, wrong, and sinful. And it needs to change. It's a a most wonderful thing. It's part of the foundation built into our heritage as Americans. And, And here's Jacobet. She refuses uh, to obey the king. She's willing to suffer the, the consequences of her obedience to God. And, and she is the forerunner of Daniel, isn't she? And Daniel, he would uh, not obey the king's edict, not to pray for 30 days. She's a forerunner to the apostles in Acts 5, 29. They were beaten because they, they evangelized in Jesus' name. And uh, they said, you decide, is it better to obey God rather than man? Always, 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 and ought to be part of the warp and woof of your thinking and mine, willing to suffer rather than to do wrong. It is never right to do wrong, never. And she courageously does the right thing, courage. She's amazing. Well, there's a second lesson uh, from her, from the life of this godly mother, urging us to honor her and all her sisters and all. Godly women have a faith uh, to confidently believe in God. 
you see in, in chapter 2, verse 3b, Jochebed believed the Lord would work in her circumstances. Now we know that clearly from the Hebrews passage. She is named, uh, the, included in the word parents, in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, the faith chapter, verse 23. It tells us by faith, uh, the parents of Moses, the mother and father, by faith they hid the child. In other words, they trusted God to work in that difficult circumstance. She chose to believe God. And so she gives birth, and you can easily imagine her question. It's the question that is often asked, right? I saw three times, Faith, he gave birth. And as she gave birth, and, the, and our babies came, you know, uh, if the doc didn't say, it's a girl, or it's a boy, right? Then she goes, well, what is it? What is it? Now imagine that under the cloak of a death sentence. Or in her setting, giving birth like the Orientals did in that day, Oh, no, it's a boy. Instantly give birth to a beautiful baby that's under a death sentence. Now, that's the setting here. It helps us to get a feel for what's going on here. And yet, as they looked at, and some of the old translations, uh, he was beautiful. Well, what, what do we only keep the beautiful babies? The Gerber babies, right? All babies are beautiful. No, that's not the point. It's a, that the baby was, was healthy and fine. We, or, or as a lot of times I'll say, well, that looks like a keeper. You know, like I say that to them all. You know, like what? We're not going to keep them? You know, we're not going to keep them. <laughs> you know, this one, I like fish, right? No, I think we'll, no. Uh, they, 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 that's our baby, and we're not going to let it. We're going to believe God to work in the circumstance. He's the third of three children, and her faith in the Lord had, had a works element to it. And for uh, she hid the child as long as she could, but the day came when she, it seemed best and safest for her, for the baby, and she put the boy in a box and put the box into the river and put her son's situation into the Lord's hands. Wow. Works. Reminds us that faith without works is dead. She believed God. It's not the cheap, I believe, I believe, but there's no evidence of it. James chapter 2. A faith without works is dead. Right? The faith that saves is a faith that evidences itself. And she believed God. She was trusting God. Uh, to work in her circumstance, and God is pleased with that. And so she moves in this plan, putting him in a little box. The old translation calls it an ark. It's the same word of Noah's uh, day, an ark. Ark is simply a box. Noah's ark is just a big floating box put pitched on it. That's the oil. You know, I should have known there was oil in the Middle East, right? The stuff's leaching up from the ground. Hey, that's waterproof stuff. You put that on, put a lid on it. Right, put her bundle of joy there in the reeds in the marshy area, a tributary of the Nile, and she hid that one. I can imagine her prayers, O oh Lord, watch over my son. He's in your hands. That's the prayer of mother. You know, God hears a mother's prayers. And uh, even to this day, I, I continue to pray for every one of our, our children by name. 
and our four granddaughters by name. And I pray for each one. I want to cover them with, with, uh, with our prayers. I take that as a, as a patriarchal responsibility of my home to cover them. Job did that in chapter 1, prayed for his children. I don't know the temptations and the failures and issues and the presses of their life. We need to do that. And God particularly in this praying for her son, Lord, I, can, I give him to you. I can't keep him here any longer. He's not safe. Maybe she got word that the, the word's out now and they're coming. Get it. We got to get move in the plan B. Get him, get him into the river, into this box. That must have been a hard thing. You know, usually a baby, especially, is never far from the mother's sight. They're like eagle eye. Have you ever noticed that? Eagle eye. They know where that baby is at all, particularly at that age. And to, can you see that like that? And the, and the plan was, Miriam, uh, uh, the oldest sister, is going to go sit up on the hill. She's going to watch. Well, keep her eye. Now, you go down there and you watch that. Make sure nothing help, happens to your brother. You know, watch what's going on there. There's Miriam. Can you see her? I see her sitting there watching this thing right along the river's edge and, um, and, uh, and so on. And, and by placing him, uh, this thing stuck out to me. By placing little Moses in the Nile River, she was actually, that is, uh, Jochebed, bringing Moses to the place of death. I mean, that all the babies were to be drowned. We're in the Nile. I mean, that you would think, that's the last one. I want my baby 100 miles from that point of death. I mean, it's just the opposite, right? It's just the opposite of what you think. There's danger over there. Stay away from there, right? Stay away from that road. Stay away from that curb. Don't, you know how that is. That's what we She actually put him in the point of death, the place of death. Who knows, around there, babies may have been drowned right there. And she hid him there in the reeds in a box and covered it. Well, it would be at the very place of death that life would be found. I mean, he would be found and he would be legally sanctioned to live under the princess now. And it would be at the place of death would be life for him, for this deliverer, for this one God was making. And I see it's a, a wonderful forerunner of the gospel, is it not? It's the gospel. Moses, as the deliverer, would prefigure Jesus in all of this. Jesus came to the actual place of death, the place of the skull. That's where they executed people. I mean, they just, boom, wiped them out. I've stood over there several times and, and imagined that outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And what? The place of death would become the place of life for all who would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus was not simply a limited human deliverer. He was the ultimate deliverer. That's bound up in the word Savior. A far greater Savior than Moses would ever become. It is a picture of the gospel to me. It's John 10.10, 10. they that have the Son have life and have it more abundantly. And so what, is, what does she do, Jacobet? She confidently trusted in the Lord. What more could she do? She could do nothing else. Listen, when we come to those points and we go like, it's all beyond me. I guess I just have to give it to the Lord. Look, you've come to the very best spot. 
It's like, we get it upside down. Sometimes we think, well, that's the last resort. <laughs> and the Lord has to strip all this stuff away so we end up thinking, like, what is the matter with me? That is the very best place. You know, I think about that in the life of our church. I mean, Mark said we want to build a building. We have no money, right? He said that earlier. Well, it, it, it's extremely exciting, you know, as the little boy with a lunch gives the lunch to the Lord, and God is able, ex nihilo, to make something out of nothing. And we're trusting that God is going to do that at grace. As he builds a beachhead for the gospel right here in this area to reach our world. That's what we're trusting. We go like, well, I guess we can't do anything else. I guess we just have to give it to God. Sort of like Jacobet. Do you see the parallel there? Listen, that's the greatest thing. In my own life, the Lord has taught me this so many times. So many times. One story, I remember uh, in my college years, uh, in summertime, I worked during the year part-time at Pankford College, but then in summer I worked all kinds of hours. Uh, and in our city, in the greater Buffalo area, we had steel mills and paper mills and Durez chemical factories. It's amazing. I don't light up at night, you know, turn green or something and, and all, all that kind of stuff. But... Uh, in 74, there was a, a great recession, the Arab oil crisis, remember that? And they laid off, and the union guys were a lot of them out of work. And you know, I came home, and I had, I had a, Lord, I got a school bill here. We're, and we're trusting as a testimony to my father. He was asking, if you turn on your scholarships here and there, how are you going to? God will provide. God will provide. And my father was watching all this from a distance and knew I, I was willing to work. 80, 90 hours a week didn't matter. But nobody was hiring. Nobody. I go like, and, uh, and like I got home May 8, and usually I started right away in, uh, and working all kinds of hours and living on nothing, living at home, saving up for, to pay for school. And, and it went on for a week, week and a half, and I kept praying, Lord, what? There's, there's nothing. There's no work. What are we going to do here? This is, I'm going crazy anyway. I'm, I, I want to get going. And while I was on my knees, in my bedroom, praying, you know, the thought hit me, hey, go paint some houses. And I go like, you know, like, Lord, was that my thought, or did you put that in my pea brain, you know? And I got, I, I stood right up, and I go like, yeah, I'm going to put a tie on. I'm going to go around the neighborhood. And I had to figure out, I didn't know how to say it. You know, your house is really horrible. You, have you thought of paying it? Painting it? You know, can I give you a quote? I didn't know how to, I had to figure out those, those words, you know, like, and be real gentle. About, and, uh, and that began, and the Lord was growing this guy up. And a part of that was so that I'd be standing here how many years later, and we're like saying, well, look what God did. And he's done it so many times in my life. And when that summer came, I never missed one day of work. I finished one job and another one opened. I finished another job and another one opened. I finished another job and another one opened. And by the time I kept really accurate records, worked six days a week, Worked 11-hour uh, days and uh, painted shutters in our garage at night. <laughs> and it never rained, and it wasn't Camelot. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It had a little rain at night. And uh, when the summer was done, I had made more than twice as much that I had ever made in any great union-paying job in the steel mill or the paper mill. And I was done by August 21, and I went back to school, and I go like... Lord, I'm so ashamed of myself. Um, thank you for teaching me that you're greater than all this. 
And uh, this lesson, I, I'm going to go back and find feeding on it all my life. I know. And on, and I could give you story after story after story. I didn't just sit around and said, I'll check the mail every day, Lord, send it in. <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes legally. I mean, I'll work like as hard as I can. And I trusted the Lord. That's what Jacobin did. That's what we do as a church. That's what you need to do in the lives of your children, in the lives of your work, in the lives of health, reports, and all these things. Sometimes it looks bad, and stuff happens, and, and God's timetable's not ours. And we go like, Lord, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have moved it along a little bit. But God has his timing. And Jacobed was going to learn that. And number three and last lesson before we're done here, godly women know that God rules over all. Verses 4 to 10 of our text, God rules. It's not Pharaoh. He's just a peon. He's just a player. God put him in place. It's not your boss that, rule, uh, that rules. It's not Satan. He's a very tiny little peon of a player. Not your enemy. It's not any of these. God rules. He reigns. That's like the little kid when the church sang that. God reigns, God reigns. He came on and said, Dad, what's it mean? God reigning? Reigning outside? You know, God reigns. God reigns. He's king. He rules. His providence works all things out uh, for his purpose and his glory. And this story is a vivid display of God's amazing control. It's amazing. Such tragic events brought about by Pharaoh remind us of Joseph's words to his brother there in Genesis 50, verse 20. Remember that? They thought, now dad's dead, you're going to get it. You're going to get even with us for selling you into slavery. And Joseph said, listen, and in and, and, and Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil. And they did. And people do that. They'll, they'll say things. They'll hurt us. They'll do all sorts of stuff to us. They meant it for evil. But there's someone in charge ruling over that who can overrule all of that and bring about wholly different circumstances. You meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. God was working in and through that. He overrules the actions and decisions of men in ways that are amazing. Now, the word providence means God governs his world through ordinary means. Normal, ordinary means. God brings about his amazing purposes. Jacobed was the same. And, and just and as we close, note some of the circumstances that are just amazing providential actions that take place. Uh, the first one in B is the timing of Moses' birth. I mean, it was not an easy time. It was a hard time. Amazing. that would be right at that time. And then the place where the boy was placed. It just happened to be lucky that that's the spot where the princess went down to, to bathe in the Nile. Well, that's fortunate, isn't it? We talk like that, don't we? No, it was God-ordained at this point. I mean, it's amazing that that is the spot. How about the timing of her coming? I see timing as the backbone of God's Bible. It's utterly important timing in our life, the fact that we live at this moment in all the moments God gives us in the intersection of our lives with others and circumstances. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. Amazing. I, I said it the other day to somebody, you know, a church of our size 
and the unbelievable talented men that God has given us with our project team, I, I just, you can't imagine. The, the that's not an accident. I believe that all the men are there, the 8 or 10 or 12 that, that enter into that to help us decide as a church going forward, have gifts and abilities and skills and a love for the Lord. And I just absolutely know God's going to lead in that. Not an accident. It's not an accident that she comes along at that moment and debate. How about Miriam's presence at the river? I mean, she could have went home for lunch, right? Lunch. Everybody quits for lunch, right? Lunch. <laughs> no, she's there. There she is, little Eagle. She's our Sarah. She's your Rachel. <laughs> I'll keep my eye on this thing, you know. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe there was a plan. Maybe her mom said, now listen, if you see someone come along, I don't know that they, maybe the princess went down there. Maybe we don't know. We're not told enough. We wish we knew more. But in any event, the baby is pulled out. The princess looks in. There's Moses crying. What a crybaby, this Moses is, right? Here comes Miriam running down here. You know, can you see it? Hey, do you want a Hebrew woman to nurse that? <laughs> like, I got to suggest, I mean, that's providence. Hey, that's a great idea. Yeah, do you know any? Mm, let me think. Yes, I think I do. <laughs> that's the providence of God. That's God's governance. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's amazing. And she runs and gets her mother, and she, yeah, her mother comes, and will you take this child? It's still, you know, this child, and will you nurse, and will you raise until he's weaned? Probably eight or ten, something, two or three, but I think it could go all the way up to like 12 years old, eight, ten, twelve, probably. She raised him. And, uh, you know, since you're going to do that for me, uh, I'm going to pay you to do that. Is that great or what? You know, the women ought to unionize right there. Hey, uh, we're nursing, we're raising, we're getting paid. You know, you cannot see like Jacobet did, you know. <laughs> I mean, don't miss that. The, there is such divine irony in here of the hand of God. It's so pronounced. It's just amazing to me. And then later she would come and offer her son, and he would be raised in the best university training of that day in all the arts and sciences of the Egyptian, he was being raised in the court. He was being raised for leadership. And God, it was no accident. We still, we still read out of the things that he wrote called Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That, that was because he was schooled in the art of language and linguistics and in writing, and that was all under God's sweet providence. And we read his writings today. Wow, praise the Lord who works all things according to his plan, Romans 8.28. Quickly, lessons for our life, and we'll be done. Lessons for our life, number one. Today we honor our mothers. You honor your mom. We do is truly one of God's greatest gifts. Thank you for your selfless work. Thank you for being godly. We love you. And I might add, thanks for not giving up on us. <laughs> we look like a sad lot, I'm sure, at many times. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Number two. Be encouraged. Hard and difficult times do not erase God's providence. We tend to think that. We tend to think that. 
You know, we tend to think uh, like Gideon. Uh, you know, if God had been with us, why has all this happened? You know, and we think wrongly about it. God rules over all and brings about his perfect plan. Be encouraged, I say. Be encouraged. Encourage, whether you can see it or not. God is working. God is working. His timetable is not ours, but he's right on time for his purpose. The disappointments and the heartaches and the brokenness that we all have, and we lay them at the feet of the Lord. Number three, ask the Lord Jesus to make you courageous to live for him. Be courageous. I hope you get sick of being a chameleon. We blend in, right? Blend into the color of the landscape. Forget that. Life is so short. Stand and be counted. Lord, give us courage to stand against the godlessness of our day. Be bold for Jesus as you take your stand for the gospel. Stand up. We used to sing that, right? Stand up, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand up and be counted. Remember Joshua. Be strong. Remember chapter 1? Be strong and courageous. He had to keep telling him. The only reason I figured they keep telling him two, three times was that he probably was a little timid and fearful. You don't keep, God doesn't keep repeating it needlessly, right? And it's like all of us, right? We need that. Be strong. Be bold. Stand together. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. Number four, grow in your ability to trust the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. Be men and women of faith as you rest in him for the pressing concerns and cares of your life. We do that as a church. Pray for our church. Pray for each other. Do that in your own life. The pressing cares. Lord, help. If you don't help here, we're in deep trouble. God loves those kind of prayers because he knows from our own heart when it's genuinely true, wow, now I can do that. And you know that when I do it, I'll get all the glory and it won't be shared with men and women. Number five and last. Perhaps today Jesus has spoken to you to come to him and be saved. Don't delay the door of salvation is still open. Come and receive Christ the Lord as Savior. Jochebed, the mother of Moses, pretty well unknown, but shouldn't be. She's an exceptional lady for sure. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for our mothers. We just pray that you would strengthen them in heart and encourage them, particularly as we now soon leave and go into another uh, week. We ask that you'd make us a blessing, Lord. But as the remainder of the day unfolds, may we just enjoy lavishing words of praise and encouragement and prayers. And we think of moms who have passed in the glory and we miss them. We stand upon their shoulders and we thank you for them. Thank you for these things from the life of Jacobed. In Christ's name, amen.